the Holy Spirit. Landon says this a little more eloquently than, than I can say it, but the pneuma part of that Greek word, if you use anything, any of you use pneumatic tools or know what pneuma means, get the word pneumonia from it, infection. Uh, pneuma means wind. It means breath. And the word logos is, is pneuma. Uh, we're going to look at quite a few passages. I think your notes uh, do say something about uh, looking at Genesis uh, 2 and Genesis 1. I've got it backwards. We probably ought to look at Genesis 1, 26 first. As we turn there, uh, D.L. Moody said, reading the scripture without the spirit is like trying to read a sundial without the sun. You ever try to read scripture before you were saved? I did. I'd get through Genesis, get through Exodus, get to Judges, and I'd have a problem. Didn't make any sense to me. Made no sense at all. So I would, a few months later, maybe I'd try it again, and I'd get about the same, same place, and it was the most boring thing, and I just, I just couldn't understand it. But I didn't understand why I couldn't understand do you understand? <laughs> so it's reading the, the uh, uh, scripture without the spirit is just impossible. It's hidden. It's veiled. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Look at uh, the creation of man. So what we have in uh, 1, 26, 27 is uh, kind of an overview and then we get some details over here and it's going to make sense to the wind and the breath the spirit so verse 26 chapter 1 then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness there you see the the spirit and the, the son involved after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps into the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So he used a, there's an old, old, old song some of us will remember, uh, 100 pounds of clay, dust. So when did man get life? That's explained over here in the next chapter, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became, see it there, a living creature. So I, I don't know if we should paint this picture of a, of a dirty old man walking around without, without life whatsoever. <laughs> But God breathed into the nostrils. He pneumed into the nostrils of man and became a living being and completed the process of being made in his image. We have a spirit. We have a spirit. So this study will reveal to us about the uh, personality I don't know if you often think of the personality as having a spirit. 
we as good Baptists, having uh, this, excuse me, the spirit having a personality, but it's about the personality, the work, and the deity. God chose to make himself or to reveal himself in three persons. So, all right, one of the common New Testament terms for um, spirit is paraclete. I think the, you'd say paracletus in the Greek. That's an interesting word. When you think of, of uh, the spirit, do you often think of that word? Or have you ever heard that word? Paraclete. Para is kind of together in it. Paraclete. We see that in several words, and they're very interesting, very, very interesting words. Uh, John 14, 16, uh, 26, John 15, 26, John 16, 7, John, 1 John 2, 1. And there are various words and various uh, usages of these words, paraclete, and they come out, helper, advocate, other places translate them as counselor. That's no, no, that's not a new term for you for the spirit. Companion and defender. Turn with me to uh, Philippians two. Landon's preaching on uh, Philippians two, so it's very familiar. This is a very familiar passage to most of us, anyway. Uh, but when you see these two things come together, counselor and defender. Here's the picture I want you to see. An ancient, an ancient Greek and Roman soldier. You can, you've seen them. You've seen depictions of them. They have armor and swords. The short sword, long sword, the machaira, the, the short, almost a knife size. And the, the, uh, the longer sword. Uh, <clears throat> the short sword comes if they lose the longer one for close-in fighting, but they have a shield that they can defend with. But picture their back. There's nothing on their back, nothing that would stop a sword, maybe a little bit of leather protection, but nothing that would stop a sword. So they went into battle with a trusted friend back-to-back. If, if he fell someone would come in and go back to back with this man and vice versa. So they really trusted their paraclete. Okay? Listen to this passage. Read it with me. Verse 5 through uh, 8, I guess. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was... In the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the paraclete, if we're looking at a soldier, that's a defender, isn't it? A friend, a companion, a defender, a trusted defender. Here's the picture. Jesus had every right to come into this world, a king, a general. Instead, he came in as our defender. Now, in, those, in the army, a, a soldier was expected to give his life, fight to the death for the king, the general. 
the commander. Jesus humbled himself. He became our defender, our comforter, our counselor, our he's got our back. This is exactly where we get that term from. I've got your back. I hope that, I hope that brings you comfort in a way than, uh, that you've never seen before, the comforter. Okay? We already said it. Jesus is the third person among equals in the Trinity. That's a term that I only learned a few years ago. Third person among equal. First person among equals is the Father. Easy to see. Second person among equals is the Son. The third person among the equals is the Spirit. However, just read your notes there. The Spirit is not to be worshipped. We worship God. We worship him in three persons. And it's, it's not that we are not to worship the Spirit, but here's, here's how. Look at uh, John 16, 13 through 16. This is from the lips of the Lord. This is the night before he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion. And he is telling his disciples things he wants them to know. Among, those, among that time, he washed their feet, exemplified how we should treat each other. He, did, he wanted to reveal the top secret of the universe, which was love one another. And he did that. He didn't tell us how the, the uh, earth revolves around the sun and how, how exactly he keeps the, uh, the oceans from encroaching onto the shores. That he says, go here and, and go no farther. He didn't tell those a scientific secret or secret on how to to advance ourselves, he said, love one another, and he exemplified that so, so acutely. And he told them a lot of things, and he said in here, he said, I have more to say to you, more that you cannot bear. So let's back up a little bit. I said 13, but let's just follow this dialogue from 12. He says to that intimate group, and there's, a, there's 11 of them, in there by this time I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you all this, the Father, all that the Father has in mind. Therefore, I said to you, He will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's a lot of misconception about the Spirit, slaying in the Spirit, Spirit worship. Nothing but the Spirit worship. We must put Him in His proper place in the Trinity. Out and out Spirit worship is not what he is called to do. From the lips of the Lord, my best heartfelt interpretation of this, and most people agree with me, is that when, he, when we are viewing him properly and allowing him to work, he points straight to the cross. Where those wonderful words, it is finished, 
the plan of salvation came from. Think about it a little bit. If we are worshiping one person in the Trinity, the Spirit, things get awfully crazy. We're going to look at the gifts in a few minutes, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring up some of the things there. But we are not to worship him. We are to allow him to point us to the finished work of the cross. My teaching style has always been to ask questions, so I'm tempted to ask questions and let this go on and on and on, but I'm not. I'm just going to have you, I hope that causes you to want to really, really look into that and see and let the Lord uh, illuminate that to you. The Spirit illuminates the finished work of Christ, so let's leave it like that, Okay? All believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's an erroneous doctrine called the doctrine of subsequence. That says you only get a taste when you commit your life, born again, regenerated, regenerate, however that's supposed to be said, that you get a taste of the Holy Spirit. To get the in dwelling Holy Spirit, you must seek for it. So subsequent to salvation, it must be sought after, and it is accompanied by signs, especially tongues. There is nothing more false in, in the religious communities today uh, in the shadow of the cross that, that claim to be in the shadow and the, the authority of Scripture in the cross than that doctrine, the doctrine of subsequence. It is a one-time event. It happens when we are saved. And we're going to solidify that by looking at some scriptures. Um, I think I want to look at Romans 8, 9 first. Paul's great letter to, uh, to the Romans. Romans 8 is kind of the jewel, in the, the center jewel in the crown of this magnificent letter he was able to really write his heart and and tell people truth he had no problem straightening out he'd never been to Rome at the time he wrote this if you'll look at first and second Corinthians those are kind of two long reprimands this is great stuff in Romans from chapter 1 through chapter 16 it's great stuff <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> Chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells, you, in, dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, you, give to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Not partial. It's a one-time thing. We're going to talk about being filled with the spirit in a minute, but it's a one-time thing. Run from the heresy that says it can be off and on. 
Run from that heresy. All right, then let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And then Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And following, I think. <clears throat> Many subjects covered by this by these words. Scripture has many different meanings. I don't mean that. Let me. I'm not, I'm not saying that right. Scripture has more than one truth that you can glean from it. But for our purposes tonight, it's very truthful for us to say, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The Father gives the Holy Spirit. Christ sends and gives us the Holy Spirit. Now, Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down the flesh by dividing the wall of hostility. And I don't think that's right. Give me a second here. That's a typo. Verse 18. Is that what you, did you say that, Linda? I'm sorry. <clears throat> For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Still not what I'm looking for. It certainly says it. A deposit guaranteeing. So sorry. Have you ever been up here? It's a little bit nerve-wracking. He casts a big old shadow, and then he talks about how short you are. One thirteen and fourteen. In him, also, when you heard the word of truth, that's the gospel. A few months ago, Landon mentioned you. When you witness, you've got to have the word. It's the wrong Jesus if you're not using the gospel. The gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. One-time event. Permanent. Does it, does it come and go? Can it get stronger? Mm, I can't argue that. It can't get stronger. Other passages there, some... Uh, um, <clears throat> Some things for you to study later. Next thing I think I have in there is walking in the Spirit. We've already looked at, at John. Go ahead and look at John 14, 16, and 17. And there'll, there'll be more to come on walking in the Spirit here and how to do it and what's expected and what it looks like. But look at John 14, 
16 to 17. Also, the night before he was betrayed, up in the, in the upper room, valuable, valuable things. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the word cannot, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a lot of, of emphasis on the tabernacle. Our promise is that he will come and tabernacle with you. When I think of a tabernacle, I think of a tent, a dwelling. In the Old Testament, it's where he is. So he comes and makes his home in you. And several of these passages are saying that. A helper. The paraclete. That's another form of paraclete there. He's got your back. Okay. The next, uh, moving on, the Holy Spirit gives the believer power. Okay, picture this in your mind. What happened when Jesus was arrested? The disciples scattered. They, poof. We do see John and Peter at the arrest we see John at the, at the crucifixion, but they ran scared. Think about it for a minute. The scripture says that a cohort of Roman soldiers, plus all the temple people, plus the priests, came to arrest Jesus. And he said, they asked for him. It was dark. And he said, I am he. And they fell down. You get that? He said, I'm God. And they fell flat. Then he said to them again, who do you seek or whom do you seek? And probably from the ground looking up from him maybe, they said, "Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And after that great show of power at his word and his statement, the disciples were very emboldened. Peter drew a sword. Uh, But then when they saw him bound and taken off, they scattered like crazy. Peter was at least available to deny him. I'm not trying to defend him, but he was visible enough for them to ask him questions. So then they go to the upper room, and they're really afraid. If you were an associate of a crucified person, you might get crucified. So they were really afraid. Now, we want to look at Acts 1 7 and then Acts 1 4 1 through 19. Acts 1 is he's about to ascend. So they're still not understanding. They are they love the Lord and they've spent many days with him. They're still not understanding because I think it's verse 6. They said, are you now going to restore the kingdom to us? Are you going to put the sword back in our hand to get rid of these pagan Romans? 
free us from them? They still didn't understand. So here's Jesus' response in verse 7. But he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Is that what they did? Peter went fishing. Okay. So when they received the Holy Spirit, look at Acts 4. And we have to look at those, all those verses. And since I'm long-winded, I'm not going to be able to read them all to you. So let's paint this picture. We do need to concentrate uh, on verse 7 that says power. So here, here's the picture. The same people who crucified the Lord, the Sanhedrin, is after them, telling them, do not preach the gospel anymore. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. So we skip on to, to 19. Their threat is real. Their threat is, is real, but they have the power of the Holy Spirit in, him, in them, and they would rather die than, to, than not to preach. So Peter and John answered them, verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, we must judge. We will not stop preaching. So you've got cowards afraid for their life, hiding in an upper room, Jesus had to walk through the wall or the door to get in there. And then after receiving the Holy Spirit, they said, we will die rather than not. Puts me to shame a little bit. How about you? Rather die than deny the Lord. Power. He gives us power. Okay. Next, the fruit of the Spirit produces fruit. Look at, look at the Galatians passage first, and we're all very familiar with that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. What am I missing? Last one I know, self-control. Okay, back to the slaying or the laughing or the spirit worship. Let's say this. If we observed someone, and I only have observed it uh, on TV, the hen getting, you know, throwing the blessing, even up to the balcony, and people falling over and thrashing around like they're in some sort of... Anyway, if you ask them, look, I just witnessed that. What happened? I think you'd get this answer. Well, I was so filled with the Spirit that I lost control. Now, that's one fruit of the Spirit with nine aspects, but it's anchored with self-control for a big reason. Self-control. We'll get to a little more of that in a little bit. The fruit of the Spirit. Next, the Spirit of Christ is a divine teacher. I could say a lot here, but I think we're just going to uh, turn to Galatians five sixteen through 18. Remember, we started out saying if you can't, it's trying to read the Scripture without the, the Spirit is like reading the sundial without the sun it just can't really be done we will talk about some of these passages and I'd like for you to look them all up later but 
all of this is spiritually discerned. We love this. It is the power of God, so some of these passages tell us. It's the power of God. One of these pictures in 2 Corinthians talks about uh, a procession, how sweet the aroma is to us. Uh, And to the non-believer, it's condemnation. To the Jew, it makes no sense. And I'm mixing some of these passages together just to paint the picture and see the, uh, uh, to get the gist of this. The, The passage in 2 Corinthians paints this picture. When Rome captured a people, they had these, they brought back generals and kings and prominent citizens and soldiers, and they put them in a procession on this certain street in Rome, and they had this, these things on their shoulders, and they burned incense. And that was kind of a victory. So Paul's describing here is the sweet smell of victory, the word of God, the instruction the spirit illuminates that to, to know that it's the sweetness, of one of the real sweetnesses of God. To, to us, when we smell that, that aroma from the word of God, it's sweet victory. To the people who don't understand it, at the end of that procession, those kings and generals offered their head or however they choose to, to kill them. So when they smelled it, it was uh oh. That's that's what this is to the non-believer. It's condemnation. To us, it's the sweet smell of victory. He's the divine teacher. Galatians uh, one sixteen through eighteen. So I'll just ask you while you're if you probably are already there. Where did Paul get his message? Where did he find out about the gospel? What he knew before he was saved was to destroy it. Destroy the way. And he was very good at it, apparently. Where did he find out? He says here in Galatians 1. was pleased to reveal, it kind of starts in the middle of a sentence, really, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. God breathed it to him. He pneumed it to him. He learned it from the Lord. Where are you going to learn it? Well, don't go to Arabia. Dig into this. This is why he revealed it to Paul. This is why he revealed the the first five books to Moses. This is why he used Amos and Daniel. Because we have this. And Peter says that that it's the most precious thing we could ever have. He saw the Lord glorified. And he said, but we have something even more sure than what I saw on the matter of transfiguration. We have the prophets. We have the word of God. This, this precious, wonderful, wonderful thing. Learn it from the Lord. He illuminates and clarifies the scripture to make it understandable to our sin-tainted, finite minds. But you need to read it. You need to hear it. You need to listen to it. You need to pay attention to it. 
Bloody Mary, Queen of Scots, says, I'm going to wipe out anyone who has a Bible. There were a lot of reasons she was after him. So she instructed her soldiers. At that time, folks could not have Bibles. She instructed her soldiers, if you find someone reading a Bible, spill their blood and dip the Bible into it. Dip the Bible into their blood. Those are called martyrs' Bibles. I heard a man say that he had seen one and held it in his hand and could see the blood. After all those centuries, could see the blood, but he said that wasn't the most marvelous thing about it. He said the page were worn and tattered and tear-stained because it was someone's most prized possession. can't separate God from his word. And when you do, you're depriving yourself of a great, great blessing. Okay, next, the spirit of Christ is divine convictor. I don't even know if I can say that, if it's proper English. But what I want to see is there's a difference between conviction and conscience. I believe born-again believer does not get his conscience eliminated, but conviction jumps in front of it. And conscience can't work. That's a kind of innate sense of, of right and wrong. Conscience can't work because conviction is so there, and it's a whole lot worse. Isn't it? For David, and I'm going to have to hurry uh, I'll just mention these, these things. David, when he was convicted of his sin in Psalm 51, this marvelous record of his repentance, he says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Conviction, contrition. David felt like, according to those passages, he felt like he was carrying the weight of the world around on his shoulders. The Spirit of Christ compels us to repentance, which is necessary for salvation. I wasn't here when you preached that the other night, but I sure heard about it. So, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, of these passages, what, what do we need to look at? Let me just tell you a story to illustrate this, and please look these passages up later. When you repented and came to Christ, did you, do, can you look back on it now and see it was the Spirit working? Tell, tell you a great story. On May 7th of 1967, a man named Roger Miller, not the king of the road, was hitchhiking home from Vietnam. They would get you home at this assigned time. But if you wanted to get there quicker, they would allow you to fly, stand by. So he found his way faster than normal to somewhere south of where he lived. And a man hitchhiking, a man in a new Cadillac, picked him up. So Roger is a believer. He gets in that car, and uh, the Lord is compelling him witness to this man. Well, his argument to the Lord, without voicing it, was... This is not just somebody with a Cadillac. He's not going to listen to a hitchhiker. This is an important man. But he blurted out, if you die tonight, do you know where you'd be for eternity? The man's name was Hathaway, and he 
looked at him, he said, well, yes, I do. I'd be in hell. Emboldened, Roger gave him the gospel. He received the gospel, received Christ over the hood of that car, took him home, and he said, if you're ever in Chicago, come and see me. It was five years, and he went to see him. And when he got there, people were acting strange when he asked to see him, had his card that he'd given him. So they took him upstairs in this big building owned by this, this person, and his wife walked in. She said, you wanted to see my husband. She was acting strange, and how did you know him? Well, he certainly remembered the day and the time and the event. It's the day he got home from Vietnam. He told her the story, and she started weeping. She said, I prayed for him for years. I received the Lord many years ago, and I never got anywhere with him, and he never made it home. Killed in a car wreck, and I didn't know. That's the spirit compelling. There's a famous theologian, Landon could probably tell us who it was, that summed, summed up the work of the Holy Spirit in one word, compelling. It's that wind in your sails. Okay, the gifts of the Spirit are not natural gifts given to believers and non-believers alike. They are divinely given to glorify God and to edify the church, to build up the church, the body of believers, you and me. So we're going to talk about a few of these, and I want to make some comments. A few of the gifts are wisdom, knowledge. Um, those are speaking gifts. You, you, you need to really look those up and concentrate on faith. Uh, it's not saving faith. We all have saving faith. It's the faith to believe no matter what are the the faith that compels you closer to Christ no matter what your circumstances are. Okay? That's faith. Healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. I want to comment on that. Those were sign gifts given by, sometimes used, of course, by Christ to the apostles, to the seventy. And to certain, like Philip, associates of the apostles. Those gifts, the ability to foretell the future like Daniel, like John, those gifts, with the exception of John, ended quite obviously, all of them, with the exception of John, before the apostles died. Paul left his friends sick. There's just no way to not believe that if he could still heal the sick all, those, all that time later, that he would have left his friend sick and been worried about him. They tried to kill John. John was preserved to write the revelation. So that Landon is a prophet. A teacher is a prophet. There's, there's two meanings of that. Forthtelling the word and foretelling a Daniel, a John, okay, an Isaiah. Those, those gifts ended a long time and were no longer needed after the church were founded. That's what they were used for was to found the church. To give those gifts, healing, all that, 
would be to commonize. To commonize the work of the Lord on the cross and his apostles who gave their life for it. Okay, much more to say about that, but I'm going to to let you read, uh, look into that. Some other gifts distinguishing between spirits. That's discernment. Uh, Service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, administration. There are many who believe that that as a believer, we only have one spiritual gift. I won't argue that point. I, if, you, if that's the way you, you believe, and for those who believe, do believe that way, I would say this. There are many people, many people in this room who may be gifted in one thing, but God has enabled, God enables in a lot of these areas. It is from the Spirit. If there's only one, then he can enable in all these areas. I don't know. That's for you to decide on your own. Okay. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Big snag in the church, 2,000 years. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? In that incident in Matthew 12, I hope you all know it very well, the Jews were attributing to Satan the work of God. Let's, let's close that part by saying this. There is one unforgivable sin. And that's rejecting Christ that the Spirit is urging into unto death. Unto your death. There's one unforgivable sin. Many, many uh, uh, examples of that. Peter denying personally, strongly. Paul and doing his best to destroy the way. God saved him for his own good purposes and out of his mercy. He did not deny it to death. Rejecting the finished work of Christ until the very end. Okay, last thing. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Turn to Ephesians 5. 18, please. We believe, we just went over, the indwelling Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is a one-time thing. The Bible never teaches anything that hints anywhere other than that. But there's this passage that needs some attention. 518 Well's worse to tell y'all to turn someplace and not not do it myself. Paul says to the Ephesians, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It's always been hard for me to say. Does that roll off your tongue easier than than mine? Debauchery, debauchery. That thing. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, first thing you need to know is if if we were reading Greek, those words would say, be being filled with the Spirit. Those actions are continuous and repeating. 
be conscious. That is something you seek for. Be being filled with the Spirit. We can talk about debauchery. One of the things he wanted the, the church to know is uh, wine is, was the worship of the God Baca. Scripture from front to back condemns all drunkenness. I'll use one example. Noah uh, got drunk one time and then lived three and a half centuries after that and not one more spiritual thing is mentioned about him. He died. 350 years after getting drunk one time. Bible takes it serious, but the be being filled with the Spirit is where we really need to concentrate. How do you do this? It's also known as walking in the Spirit. It doesn't say running. Running, you get tired. I get tired walking, but <clears throat> there's progress implied in the walking. Intentional progress. Conscious, continuous walking. Galatians 5, 16 uh, through 23, that's walking in the Spirit. We take every thought captive. And we don't have time to look up these, all these passages, but it's 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take every thought captive. One of the most beautiful passages in Scripture to me is Paul says to, in 1 Corinthians, it's nine twenty six. he said, I beat my body back. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. If you're allowing the Spirit to work, that conviction, that contrition comes. Forces you into repentance. Confessing and repenting and doing everything you can to walk away from it. And to put something better in it. Take every thought captive. Beat the body back. Uh, Confessing all known sin. 1 John 1, 9. Known sin. You always know it when you sin. Typically I do. But scripturally, the basis is, David says, reveal to me my sin. If I have overlooked something. You ever pray that? Watch it. You should. We're taught to. But watch it. It sure, sure put a hurt on you sometimes. All known sins. Studying and applying the scriptures. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's First Corinthians, I mean, it's Philippians 2.12. We believe, I believe with all my heart, once saved, always saved. Eternal security. You can't sin your way out of God's graces. When you're born again, you're going to heaven. This working out your salvation with fear and trembling is the idea that's seen when Paul speaks to King Agrippa uh, for the third time in Acts, he's giving his testimony. And he tells King Agrippa in Acts twenty six twenty. He said, I did this, I did this, called to the Gentiles, and I taught them to do the acts that showed their repentance. Prove it. Fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you will know them by their Prove it. Prove it. A Christian proves it. Maybe not as good today as you do tomorrow, or, or not as good tomorrow as you did last week. But that contrition comes. One more thing I wanted to say. I've always loved this. 
that scripture ends, Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17. Uh, the passage says the church, says the, the spirit and the bride say, come. And then John, just a few words later, says, yea, Lord, come quickly. Spirit lives in the bride of Christ, the church. So we look forward to being, be being filled with the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to work in us to purge out sin, to beating the body back, studying and applying the Scripture, knowing the Scripture, loving the Scripture, obeying the Scripture.